You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Fantastic. So first off, I think Luke would draw our attention to, and I'm certainly going to draw our attention to, that Jesus was not some helpless victim overtaken by a mob mentality. The Lord Jesus was in control of this from the very start to the very end. Do you remember what he told his disciples earlier? And if you go through the scripture, it's wonderful. You see this pattern. He said, the son of man must suffer suffer many things as he's going to Jerusalem. Flat told his disciples, I'm gonna suffer. He also said, I freely lay my life down. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own will. No one was forcing Jesus to do a thing. And I love this, this famous pastor said this in reference to the crucifixion. Listen to this, I think you got it right. He said that Jesus' crucifixion of necessity, not of violence and constraint, but of his own consuming love for man. That's what held Jesus to the cross, not the nails, the love held him there. So let me draw your attention to something I'm sure you're very familiar with. There's a connection between the first words of Jesus and his last words. You remember the first words of Jesus? He was just a little guy, right? I don't know, 12, something like that. And he'd gotten away from his parents, Mary and Joseph. They're looking for him. They can't find him. All of a sudden, they find him in the temple, actually teaching some of the Pharisees. And Jesus kind of looks and says, what are you worried about? I have to be about my father's business, didn't he? Well, let's look at the end of his life. His last words were, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. He is still about his father's business. From first to last, the Lord Jesus was about his father's business. And I think another reason Luke doesn't go into a lot of detail about the goriness of the crucifixion, he wants us to pay attention to this darkness for three hours. You ever think about that? It says that it was dark from the sixth hour uh, to the ninth hour. These three hours, that's from 12 in the afternoon till 3 prime time, right? That had to have been freaky. Everyone, whether they were seeing Jesus being crucified or not, it's all of a sudden dark. I can't imagine trying to explain to my spouse or my child who wasn't there, hey, daddy, why is there no more sun? You know, what do you say? I don't know about you, but it, you know, when PG&E decides to shut the power off, it might be at night. I get freaky because I got to light candles. Nothing works. I get a little scared. Can you imagine the middle of the day? Everything goes black. We got to take that seriously. That was something. That was absolutely something. However, I tend to think maybe some of Jesus' disciples that were there when he was arrested by the chief priest remembered his words in Luke twenty-two fifty-three. Jesus looked at the chief priest and said, this is your hour when darkness reigns. 
This is your hour when darkness reigns. Not only was Jesus talking about the darkness of, of the whole atrocity of his arrest, but really pragmatically, darkness did reign. Now, I, I think that, uh, again, the Pharisees who were very learned in the scripture, very, very learned in the scripture, they had probably the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible memorized. It is my guess that a few of them put two and two together and thought about the very first Passover in Exodus. Do you remember what happened on the very first Passover in Exodus? Darkness covered Egypt, who did not have, if you did not have the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, your firstborn was dead. Very striking. I think these Pharisees are saying, wait a minute, this might be the fulfillment of the ultimate Exodus. Christ is the Passover lamb. This darkness preceded the ultimate Passover. These are all little connection spots that I find fascinating. I think that, and as I'd put it, so the spiritual darkness was, was engulfing Christ's soul, because remember, he's going to the Father with the sins of the world on him. Don't forget that. That's a place he'd never been. I can't even imagine that. He's going to the Father. That's a dark time. So the darkness, I think, that engulfed Christ's soul is engulfing Jerusalem at that time. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see that in other gospels. And again, it's almost as if God the Father had turned his face from the sun as the physical sun turned its face from the earth. However, remember this. The love of Christ that bore our sins to the Father while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, is the only love that can both forgive and restore our souls. Very, very unique. The only love that can do that. And next, you know, we read about the, the curtain in the temple ripping from top to bottom. And I like what one commentator called this. He called it a divine vandalism, a divine vandalism. And it actually was. If you know anything about the temple, this is like a three-story, huge curtain, thick as a telephone book. And it was actually, uh, theologically, it was a mechanism separating God from man. God ripped that thing from top to bottom. He took it down. You see, the, the high priest once a year would enter the Holy of Holies, most holy on this side, the Holy of Holies on this side. It was absolutely a once a year event where the high priest would go in and make atonement for all the people. A priest, the high priest had to go. No more. You do not have to go to a special place or have a special person to meet with me. We can go directly to God through our Lord Jesus Christ by way of what he did on the cross. As we head for home here, I think Luke also wants us to know that Jesus did not go out in a whimper. He did not go out on a whimper at all. It says he cried out in a loud voice. Now, typically when you die on a cross, and I was looking at this as we were singing, you die of suffocation because the nails are through your feet and your hands. You have to hoist your body up so your diaphragm can take a breath. So after a couple hours, 
you can barely breathe, let alone cry out in a loud voice, Jesus was in control. And I'll tell you what, you know that freaked out the centurion. The centurion, the centurion crucified people for a living. He knew the pattern of crucifixion. He looked up and said, this is not an ordinary man. I guarantee you that. It's radically different. Father, under your hands I commit my spirit. Picture this, and I, I think it's a lesson to us. At Jesus' greatest hour of need, he is in communion with the Father like never before, entrusting himself to the care of the Father. Don't, don't overlook that. Jesus saying, okay, Father, it's over. I give myself to you. Take me home. Take me home, Lord. As a sidelight, that is the description of death if you're a Christian. That is the description of death for us. What you fear the most will not experience. You will fall asleep in the arms of our Lord and be delivered home. That is death. And that is something to say yes and amen for. Death has been defeated. Amen. At the, you know, I look at the, the last couple verses, and I think Luke is, again, pointing us back to prophecy. At the end, it says that Jesus' friends, who kind of deserted him, were at a distance watching him. Verse 49, let me just get it right. It says, but all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a, dense, a distance watching these things. It's very interesting, but you can write this down. If you go to Psalm 30, verse 11, it is prophetically talking about what happens here. It's a messianic prophecy in the book of Psalms. Is this, my friend and companions avoid me because Neighbors, stay far away. This is absolutely connecting the dots here. It was prophesied about. And then verse 48, you have these onlookers that were watching what was happening, and they beat their breasts. They beat their breasts. Oh, thank you, brother. That was a sign of anguish, of grief, or contrition. That's what that symbolized. And the fact that I think most of these people that were beating their breast realized that in some way they were responsible for this death of this Nazarene preacher. It was that apparent that this was a miscarriage of justice. But let me say this, here's the good news, and this can work for us when we recognize what Christ did. I think a lot of those people that were beating their breasts were in the audience a couple weeks later when Peter preached his great sermon at Pentecost and thousands came to the Lord. Remember what Peter said? He said this, you know God handed him over and delivered him up and you wicked men crucified him, nailing him to the cross. I believe those that beat their breasts were now entering into personal faith with the Lord and Savior. It turned out completely different in a wonderful way. But lastly, and most striking, I think the person that best understood what was going on here was that centurion. Hey, I would think maybe a theologian would understand, a Pharisee, a disciple of Jesus. No, guess who did? A Gentile army officer, completely different. He knew nothing what was going on. But in the text, it says he prayed to God and said, surely this is a righteous man, or the better translation 
is this was the righteous man, capital R. Because we read in the Gospel of Mark, he says, surely this was the Son of God. This was the Son of God. Yes and amen. Jesus said, it is finished. And in some way it was, but another way, it really wasn't. It was the beginning of a brand new dispensation that we live in. For us, it's the beginning of we can't, as the creation, us, the creation, can go to the creator with nothing standing in between because of the sacrifice and forgiveness of sins of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why when we preach, we must always preach Christ in him crucified, Christ in him crucified. And even though, even though, and I'll end with this, even though the crucifixion at Calvary was the most painful and horrific thing that a Christian can ever think about. And we actually go, boy, we would say that Good Friday is anything but good, leads to his resurrection that is better than good. And so I'd like you to think about that while I invite Pastor Rick up, as I say, to complete this, but thank you. No water. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. Great job, excellent job with uh, taking us through that. And uh, I'm going to start out with the cross cries out. And uh, thanks. Yeah, I lost my voice a couple weeks ago, and so it's barely coming back. So the cross cries out. And I sort of had, by way of just quick introduction, <clears throat> as you work your way to Matthew chapter 27. I sort of had one of those real moments this week, which is, has been there before, and I, I just don't have the, the freedom to say the person's name and all of that, although it's well known in our church. But in our church this week, I went to say goodbye to one of my dear friends. And he, uh, uh, we raised our kids together. Our kids are best friends together. And I'm, I'm watching this strapping guy who was you know, so masculine just six months ago and is now now wasted away, and I'm kneeling beside his bed, and, uh, and, and, and we're looking at each other, because I'm talking about the cross cries out, and what just comes upon us is the reality that you are actually going to heaven, my brother, and there's a certain level in which I have a holy jealousy. I mean, I like my life, I like here, but you are going to a place so divine and so awesome, it is beyond description. It is, you're gonna be hanging out with angels and people from the 10th century and the 5th century. You're gonna be talking to Moses. I mean, like, you know, like you're gonna be able to talk to Apostle Paul and go, go say hello to Adam and smack that guy around for me because we're all here in trouble because of him. And that's where you're going. I'm to the throngs of myriads of myriads. And, and so I'm talking to my brother who's, who's just emaciated, a little head outside of a, some blankets and wrapped really tight. And I say, my, and he's lived such a good life and I just love him so much. And I just, I can't tell you how much I'm truly gonna miss this person. And I just sit there and say, and so my brother, here's, here's what you're gonna have. You're beating me to the Bema seat. I mean, where eternity in heaven enters into in a stadium and where God looks at the, 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 the cherub, great portions of your life and says, here are your crown jewels of servitude and living to me. And they are worship unto Christ. And all of heaven comes around and says your name and rejoices for you are known by Christ. 
None of that is fantasy. All of it is reality because Christ's crucifixion. And we live now, and we're going to talk about this, in the Friday of the cross, sort of the deadness of Saturday and the resurrection of Sunday. Many preachers say it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And for my friend, he'll have that Sunday now. And the cross cries out. And Jesus spoke on the cross, and he, in a real sense, cries out to God. And when, when Jesus cries out, God moves. He does. When Jesus cries out, God is actually going to move. And it's not going to be a movement that we would quickly see, and there'll be a kind of a time gap. But we have to understand as the cross cries out for us so that when we cry out, when we cry out, God rescues. And so I'm crying out for my friend, and God is there bringing the power of the Spirit and rescuing our hearts and our souls. I'm going to talk about the cry of pain and loss, the cry of salvation, and the cry of love. I'm going to do this all relatively quickly. So Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verse 45. I, I, want, to, I want to read this uh, here as we, as we, it's parallel to what was read earlier, where Matthew is going to recount it this way. Now, this, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, as Pastor Clay shared. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema samachthini, that is translated there in your Bible for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. Now you want to take note of that in your Bible because here's what's significant. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put on a reed to give it to him. So Jesus is dying, he's suffering. They realize he's not doing well. They, they decide to do what you and I would do. Let's provide some comfort. And so, so let's, let's get some, some, some liquid on a reed, on a stick, and let's take it up there and let's give it to him. Now follow what happens in the next verse. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. In other words, they're toying with it. No, 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 let's not comfort him. Let's really see if the show's gonna happen. Let, let, let's see, because you know maybe Elijah's gonna come. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be good? So if he suffers more for our fantasy, let him suffer more. All right, that's the indignity of the Savior of what he's dealing with. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The cry of pain and loss is what, is what Jesus is crying out for here. And there will be a resurrection. But God will come and he will, he will, actually, he will actually save when we cry out during times of pain and loss. So we, we are actually really unique in the animal kingdom. So let me give you one example of how we are unique in the animal kingdom. So I, I, I heard this fascinating lecture very recently about this. In the whole animal kingdom, we are very unique related to time. And so many of you, and myself included, come forward for prayer from time to time, and you go, what, what's bothering you, sister? What's bothering you, brother? And then you're going to say something like, well, you know, 10 years ago. And it's okay that it's 10 years ago. It's broken your heart. It's something that you're carrying. And so go, well, that's great. Then let's, let's pray over that. Let's, let's bring that to the cross. Let's watch deliverance take over your life. And some of you might say, well, it's 20 years ago or, or farther. It might be, in other words, you have a, a backward time orientation. And then some of you will come for prayer and you go, what's bothering you? And you go, oh, 
I don't know how I'm going to make it tomorrow. I go, well, are you okay today? Well, yeah, yeah, I'm okay today. What's going on tomorrow? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm just worried about tomorrow. Are you okay today? Yeah, I'm okay today. What's going on tomorrow? I don't know. I'm just worried about tomorrow. And I'm worried about the day after tomorrow. I'm worried about what's going to happen to me 10 years faster. And, and so the, we have this thing where, where we, we can have anxiety as humans looking backward, and we can have anxiety as humans looking forward. The animal kingdom is not like that. Animal kingdom has very different memory patterns. They can remember where their food sources are, and they can remember where they're, where they're going. You know, orca whales can know how to go as a tribe up and down the Pacific coast and that kind of thing. But they don't have the anxiety of past and future because they were not made in the image of God. We are made in God's image. And so we have a mind which thinks from the past and into the future and into the present. And sometimes that creates pain and feelings of loss. And here Jesus cries out and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so I'm not going to ask anybody, but I'm sure I could. I could say, how many of you have ever felt forsaken in a relationship? And I'm sure everyone would raise their hand, right? Right? And if you're married, don't look at your spouse, right? <laughs> and so so we, have, we have relationships throughout the history of our life. And we feel we've been betrayed. And we, we feel like loved ones have betrayed us. And we feel as if people have actually turned their face against us. And here what the text is saying is that our Savior knows intimately every human feeling you could ever have because he entered the world as a human being and faced those same feelings. In fact, he delivers them and redeems them because he so understands it. So when I pray to God and you pray to God over pain, over loss, God knows. And he cares. And he understands everything in your heart and your soul. I'm going to move on very quickly as I reference Luke chapter 23. And in Luke chapter 23, the very end of um, that gospel, verse 32, the scripture is actually going to say, there were two criminals. There one was led away to be put unto death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'll return to that in a moment. And they cast lots to divide his garments. I'm in verse 35. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers, the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. All right, that's just an amazing accusation. And the soldiers mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also the inscription over him, this is king of the Jews. So they're mocking him. This is the one who walked on water. This is the one who raised people from the dead. This is the one who saved, who fed thousands all at once. This is the one who had all kinds of justice and ex executed justice perfectly. A woman called in adultery, it's really a bad way to say that. It's actually the men who are her scummy and were adulterers. And she, he defends her and he forgives her and he sets him free. Hey, all of you who have sin, you cast the first stone. By the way, I'm God in human flesh standing right here. That stone's got to go through me. Yeah, so I'll see you guys all later because that's the only response, right? That's Jesus, you know, entering in to the injustice of man. And so here he's completely being mocked. So one of the criminals, the text will say, 
who railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us, right? He's making fun of him, but he's on the cross like a criminal. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? Verse 41, and we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in, what's the word say? Paradise. Paradise. The cry of salvation. Here's how it works. Jesus says, you can come. It's that direct. It's that straight. Do you want to enter into a relationship with God? Do you want to enter in to to the knowledge of heaven, to the reality of the kingdom of God on earth? Do you want to enter into the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to have all of God so he can have all of you? Do you want that? He says, you can come. What's the qualifications? Is it your bank account? Well, praise the Lord, it's not that. Is it your moral ability to think pure 24-7 and have no, no negative thought ever? Praise Jesus, it's not that. Is it anything to do with you where you of any kind of righteousness would be qualified to have that happen to you? The answer is no. He gives it to you because he loves you. Just think of this story. The thief on the cross, he has done nothing right His buddy is mocking him. He correctly says it. He knows nothing theologically. He has no Bible to quote. He knows the name of Jesus. He knows there's a kingdom. He knows the possibility of salvation. And he simply says, would you remember me? I'll do you better than that, Jesus says. Come with me to paradise. We're both going to get off this cross. Here's a principle of the cry of salvation. If you talk directly to God, he will move directly to you. If you talk directly to God. The the, the miracle of being a Christian is that you actually talk directly to God. There's no going around. And, and, And although there are good habits to have, there's no like sacred ritualistic practice. Uh, you, you actually just find the way in a true meditative moment to talk directly to God. And that is the open door of your entire Christian life. And so are you hurting? You can talk directly to God. Do you need salvation? You can talk directly to God. Do you need healing? You can talk directly to God and he will move directly to you. Yeah, amen to that. Amen Amen to that. Okay, last one, friends. John chapter 19. And uh, I keep saying I'm gonna get there quickly and maybe I'm a liar. Uh, John chapter 19, verse 25. Uh, I had to to share this as part of this crying out because uh, I'm going to be very candid with you. And just meditating on this section of scripture, I I just started weeping. And I just started weeping tears of joy at Christ. But this is John chapter 19, verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
And when Jesus saw his mother and his disciples, who did he love, standing nearby? So he's on the cross. His family is there. You know, just like we're like here in church today. And so many of us know one another, have relationship with one another. In particular, his family is there and he's on the cross, the indignity of the cross. He's completely been uh, uh, destroyed of his physical body. And, and so there it is. And in verse 27, or excuse me, the end of verse 26, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. So here is Jesus on the cross and he looks at his mother and he looks at his disciple, who's John, and he looks at these two. And in the middle of this, his love is so fantastic that he says, I'm gonna still call you all to live as friends. And I'm gonna still put you together to live as a family together. And I'm gonna call you all to look out for one another. And I'm gonna call you all to bless one another. In the midst of his own suffering, he looks at the suffering of others and he says, I will actually put you back together as whole people. That, church, is the Savior. The incredible incredible Savior. And that is what I call a cry of love. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.